0: If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 15, verse 22. Uh, We are starting a new series this morning on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. Uh, And this series will be different uh, than most in that we are looking at historical evidence uh, for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. As we approach Easter Sunday, in the midst of a very skeptical post-Christian culture, uh, we were kind of asking the question, how do we know that Jesus died on the cross? That he was buried in a tomb? Uh, that that tomb was later found empty? And more importantly, how do we know that he rose from the dead? Uh, these questions are of central importance to our faith. Now, uh, many of us in the room are not asking those questions this morning. Uh, Many of us in the room don't even think about those questions because we know Jesus. Uh, We're full of His Spirit. We know Him uh, through His Spirit, by experience. We just know deep in our bones He is back from the dead. And we've had no reason to question that. Uh, But others of us, inside and outside of the church, uh, go through great seasons of doubt Uh, valleys of discouragement, times when uh, we begin to question things all over again. How do we actually know that these things took place? Uh, Many of us find it hard to grasp the reality of those historical events. We find them difficult to believe sometimes. So what we want to do through the course of this series is to uh, highlight historical evidence for the real events of death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to uh, vent our inner skepticism a bit. Uh, I'm going to uh, put on my lawyer hat and and approach these topics uh, through the lens of historical evidence in an attempt to prove Uh, by a preponderance of the evidence that these things really happened, that Jesus really did rise from the dead in a new resurrected body. Uh, Paul says it this way. He says, if Christ has not been raised or resurrected, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. Do you see how high the stakes are? If Christ has been raised, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, your faith is futile, we are false witnesses, you are still in your sins, those who have trusted in Christ and died are now lost, and we of all people are most to be pitied. Kind of uh, puts a lump in your throat, right? It's all or nothing. Either the resurrection is real and we have everything, or the resurrection is false, and we have nothing at all. We are the most pitiful people on earth. So, how do we know? What evidence do we have? for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We will take one Sunday apiece on each of those topics, starting this morning with the death of Jesus. And just as a disclaimer up front, we will be looking at some of the medical details surrounding crucifixion. So if you are a squeamish person uh, or you don't do well with medical descriptions, uh, you may want to sit this one out. In the meantime, we pick up in Mark 15, verse 12. Uh, This is right in the middle of Jesus on trial before Pilate, the Roman governor, Uh, and this is the question he's asking of the crowds. Uh, What shall I do then, verse 12, "Uh, what shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see who would get what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews." Let's pray. Jesus, as we uh, step into this short series, contemplating your death, burial, and resurrection, uh, I pray that you would just be real to us. God, some of us walked into this room just feeling full of your spirit, just so aware uh, of, of the reality of who you are, of your presence with us and among us. Uh, and others of us walked in very cold, Lord, um, feeling very disconnected, confused, maybe in seasons of doubt, uh, struggling, perhaps, uh, with our faith. Uh, God, would, would all of us encounter you in a fresh way as we uh, contemplate what you did and what the Father did through you uh, during those three days? Holy Spirit, would you magnify Jesus? Would you make him known in this place? In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout history, skeptics have proposed alternatives to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, A resurrection, they claim, is just too unlikely. It's too hard to grasp. It doesn't fit with our modern theories of how the world ought to work. So another theory must be proposed. Uh, the easiest theory to propose right out of the gate uh, is that Jesus never died at all. In fact, uh, the Quran says that Jesus escaped the cross and fled to India. And if you go to uh, Srinahar, India, you can actually find a tomb that's been set up there that is the supposed resting place of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, more recently, Karl Bart and many modern skeptics have said that Jesus simply passed out on the cross or went unconscious and then was later revived in the cool, uh, damp air of the tomb. Uh, some claim that he faked death; others that he used uh, medicine or drugs to pull off the illusion. Uh, still others that he used techniques from the world of yoga. Uh, others claim that the disciples bribed. Uh, the Roman officials, into taking Jesus off the cross early. Uh, Together, all of these are known as swoon theories, and they claim that Jesus somehow avoided literal death on the cross, and hence he was seen again by the disciples and others because he never died. But We have ample evidence from scripture, from history, from the modern medical community to show that these theories don't work. Uh, First off, we read that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, the scriptures say that he was praying before the Father fervently and that he began to sweat blood. Now, uh, skeptics would easily dismiss this as a legendary detail. Uh, But the more uh, recently, the modern medical community has recognized this phenomenon as hematidrosis, which, forgive me if I mispronounce the medical terms, many of you are in the medical profession, I am not. Uh, Anyhow, hematidrosis uh, is not a common condition, uh, but it happens to some individuals in times of major psychological stress. And what happens is that uh, severe anxiety causes the release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. And as a result, what comes out is sweat that is tinged or filled with blood. So it appears in these moments as if the person, in a, in a sense, they literally are uh, sweating blood out of their uh, glands, uh, but the, the disciples, uh, they didn't know any of this. Uh, they had no idea that hematodrosis was a thing. They just wrote down what they saw. Uh, and so what an amateur skeptic would critique as a made-up detail actually becomes proof of the accuracy of their account. They didn't know what was happening. Uh, they didn't have medical backgrounds. They just recorded what they saw, and the modern medical community has since confirmed this phenomenon. Uh, So not only is Jesus under uh, extreme stress, but hematidrosis would have left his skin uh, very sore and sensitive, uh, only aggravating the pain of the flogging the next morning. Roman flogging, which receives almost a passing mention in the Gospels, was a brutal experience. In the account we just read through this morning, we simply read, Pilate had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified, and then they move on. But this event, in and of itself, was a cause of death for many people. In a Roman flogging, the victim was beaten with braided leather cords, which had metal balls and sharp bones woven into the leather cords. And what would happen is that a Roman soldier would have used this instrument to lash their victim at least 39 times and sometimes a lot more, depending on the mood of the soldier. And with each blow, those, those metal balls and sharp bones would have bruised, crushed, and split open the skin, shredding the back in the process. As a result of flogging, victims lost an incredible amount of blood, and often their rib cage, spine, tendons, and even bowels were left exposed to the open air as skin was shredded off. As a result, some victims of flogging would sometimes uh, die of their wounds and loss of blood. Uh, And many of them would go into hypovolemic shock. Uh, Hypo meaning low, vol meaning volume, and emic meaning blood. So so loss of low blood volume, shock. And there are four things that happen to victims of hypovolemic shock. Uh, The first is that the heart beats faster and faster. Uh, attempting to pump blood that isn't there. Uh, Second, the overall pressure drops, uh, causing many victims to pass out or stumble or faint. The third is that the kidneys stop producing urine to maintain what volume is left. And the fourth is that the victim becomes incredibly thirsty as, as their body begins to crave fluids to replace what was lost. And we see all of these things at play in Jesus' final moments. This is why Jesus staggers and even falls over on the road up to Golgotha. And Simon from Cyrene is forced to carry the cross for him. This is why Jesus says on the cross, I thirst. And vinegar is brought for him. Jesus was in critical condition Before he even reached the hill where he was to be crucified, he was dying before the nails were driven through his hands and feet. And this uh, sustained rapid heartbeat brought on by hypovolemic shock would have ultimately contributed to heart failure, but in the process, it would have caused clear fluid to build up in the membranes around the heart and lungs. Uh, which is known as pericardial effusion and pleural effusion. And we know that this was happening to Jesus because before he's taken down from the cross, one of the Roman soldiers wants to double-check that he's dead. And he thrusts a, a spear into his side. And in the account that John records, blood and water poured out of Jesus' side. Which is a fascinating detail, that again becomes incredibly significant would a untrained hebrew disciple expect blood and water to flow out of his side well no they would never expect or anticipate that but they saw it happen and so they recorded what they saw and now we have medical evidence to confirm what was happening hypovolemic shock led to pericardial effusion which caused a buildup of a clear water-like fluid which later came pouring out of his side. But ultimately, the cause of death for Jesus was more than hypovolemic shock. It was heart failure brought on by asphyxiation. When a victim was crucified, nails were driven through the feet and the wrists, Uh, Many of our translations say hands, but that's because the Hebrew word for hands was everything wrist and up. It included the wrist and the hand. And they couldn't have driven the nails through the hand itself because once the weight of the victim was there, uh, it would have torn through the hands. So victims were nailed through the wrists so that they would stay on the cross. And also through the feet. Uh, piercing some of the most sensitive nerve clusters in the body. Uh, the, the, the pain of crucifixion was unthinkable. Uh, in fact, it was, they literally had to invent a new word to describe the pain of crucifixion. So they invented the word excruciating, which means out of the cross. And what would happen to victims of crucifixion is that they would die of asphyxiation or lack of oxygen. They would suffocate because when victims were lifted up onto the cross, their arms would stretch and their shoulders would dislocate, and the weight of the body pressing down in that position would force their lungs shut. So if you imagine breathing out as hard as you can and then holding that that, that's what it would feel like to be on the cross. Your weight would pull down. Your lungs essentially are forced shut. And so in order to take a breath, you have to push up on the nails through your feet, scraping your exposed back up the wooden cross in order to get high enough for your lungs to then expand again, take a breath in before you slump back down. Every in-breath, up on the nails, forcing your body up the cross, take a breath, and slump back again. Once you were unable to push yourself up, once you collapsed in complete exhaustion, you were dead within minutes. In fact, modern experiments using a rope to hold the arms of volunteers found that when they were put in that position that a crucified uh, victim would have been in, Uh, Many of them passed out or lost consciousness within minutes. And that's with no blood loss and no nails. This is how people died of crucifixion. They pushed themselves up until they cannot push themselves up anymore. And through that process of uh, slowly suffocating, what would happen is that uh, victims would get less and less oxygen in their blood, oxygen levels would drop, uh, carbon dioxide levels would rise, and this would over time uh, cause respiratory acidosis, uh, meaning that the acidity of the blood would increase with carbonic acid, causing an irregular heartbeat. So between the hypovolemic shock or, or low blood volume and respiratory acidosis from carbonic acid in the blood, Jesus would have ultimately experienced massive heart failure. And because the heart beats very fast and sporadically in the final moments before it fails, Jesus would have known the very moment he was going to die which is why he's able to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. After this, we're told that he breathes his last and dies on the cross. And then the Roman soldiers came around. Now, when Romans wanted to speed up a crucifixion, they went around and broke the legs or the ankles of the crucified victims. Because if your legs or ankles are broken, you are unable to push yourself up. Therefore, you are unable to breathe. And again, once you are slumped down, you only have minutes to live. But as they go around to break the legs of these victims, they realize that Jesus was already dead. Uh, They did not break any of his bones. Instead, Uh, To be abundantly sure, they thrust a spear through his side, through his right lung, into his heart, and blood and water flowed out. Between the flogging, the hypovolemic shock, the crucifixion, the respiratory acidosis, the asphyxiation, the massive heart failure... And a spear through the heart and lungs, there is no question from a medical standpoint that Jesus was utterly and completely dead. The evidence is clear. The verdict is in. Virtually every historian and medical professional who has studied this agrees that Jesus died on the cross. And the only question I want to leave us with this morning is why? Why did he do it? Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And as he's dying on the cross, He quotes Psalm 22. And so what I want to do this morning as we close is read some of the verses from Psalm 22 and then just give us a moment to sit and contemplate why Jesus did what he did. This is Psalm 22, written centuries before Jesus was born. This is what he's quoting on the cross. he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots. My garment. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to take a moment this morning to quiet our hearts and minds and to listen. And we invite you to come. Holy Spirit to make Jesus known in this place and to answer a very simple question in all hearts this morning. Jesus, well, why were you there? Why why did you do what you did? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would show us how to apply that to our lives this morning. Not just a general idea, not just a theological answer, but Jesus, what were you doing there and what does that have to do with me right now, just as I am this morning? So Holy Spirit, we, we wait on you now. Would you come Would you speak to us? Would you make Jesus known in this place?